You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. continue our study of Galatians. We've had two messages in Galatians 1 and we're getting the Galatians 2 today and I'm really excited to look at this passage with you. Paul is dealing with a group of churches in a mountainous region. He's written a letter to them because he can't be there in person. He's trying to straighten out some issues that they're having, uh, making the gospel clear to them. And it has come to bear on their relationships and that's what we're going to look at in this passage. Chapter 2 verse 1 says this, Then fourteen years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. Paul's about to give them a a scenario of something that took place between them, between he and Peter. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Paul met with those that were pillars of the faith to make sure that he was doing a good job in his ministry. But neither Titus, who was with me, being Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for now. He says we didn't give them an inch, we didn't uh, submit to them at all. That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, excepteth no, God accepteth no man's person. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me towards the Gentiles." And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they entered the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. So he says, when we went down to Jerusalem, I took Titus with me, who was a Greek, and he was not compelled to be circumcised. But there was an issue when Peter came to us in Antioch. Verse 11 begins that story. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that, certain came from James. He did eat with the Gentiles. But when they, were, when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature, and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified." Do you remember when McDonald's french fries were really good? Back when they were really good, before they changed them? 
I lived not too far from McDonald's, and I don't know if you remember this, they actually used to run these specials where cheeseburgers were a quarter, or hamburgers were a quarter, and cheeseburgers were 35 cents. And we would go down there, and our family would do our best to put McDonald's out of business by buying all these hamburgers, and we'd always get fries, and the fries were amazing. But in 1990, McDonald's changed their fries. A man by the name of Phil Sokoloff began to pressure McDonald's to make their food more healthy. Phil Sokoloff had been a relatively healthy guy who had made millions, and then in his mid-40s, he had a heart attack. He became convinced that his problem had been all of the fatty foods that he'd been eating, so he started using his wealth to put pressure on large food companies to make changes in their food preparation so that it would be healthier. He took out full-page ads telling people how much fat was in Big Macs, but he mainly zeroed in on McDonald's french fries. He said that they were unhealthy because they were cooked in beef tallow. The vice president of McDonald's went toe-to-toe with Sokoloff on Good Morning America. And Sokoloff talked about the Big Macs and the unhealthy chicken nuggets, but mostly he zeroed in on the french fry. And McDonald's had used the same recipe for their french fries since the 50s when two brothers started the restaurant. Ray Kroc, who took the little burger chain nationwide and franchised it all over the place, he wrote in his biography that the preparation of the fries was something sacred. But after continued pressure from Sokolov, McDonald's changed the recipe, and they stopped frying the fries in beef tallow and started frying it in a mixture of vegetable oils, cottonseed oil, and the like. They caved to the pressure, and the fries were never the same. And it seems that the fries actually weren't healthy at all, because they gave up saturated fats for trans fats, and now we know that those are unhealthy, so they had to change the recipe again in the early 2000s, and now you know that french fries from McDonald's, if you don't eat them within three minutes, they start to turn into some kind of plastic, and they're no longer any good. Have you ever found a french fry from McDonald's that fell underneath your seat in the car? You find it six months later, and it looks exactly the same. It hasn't changed at all, and the french fries aren't as good. McDonald's did what many companies and organizations do. They caved on what they hold to be their sacred or core values because of pressure. In Galatians 2, what Paul is telling us is that he cared about nothing more than the gospel. And no matter how great the pressure was or where the pressure came from, he would not compromise on the gospel. Paul is telling us here in these instances that he's too committed to the gospel to cave for the largest or the loudest crowd. To see this in action, you need to understand what's happening for Paul. The people who had come into these churches in the towns and cities in the region of Galatia, they had made Paul seem like he didn't have any credibility. First of all, they said nobody really knows Paul, and so Paul had defended his apostleship in chapter 1. Then they said that Paul's gospel was different from Peter's gospel. Basically, they were trying to divide everybody up into Team Paul and Team Peter. They were acting like junior high kids reading vampire fiction. So when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he has to deal with Team Apollos and Team Paul and Team Barnabas, which was about popularity. But when he writes to the Galatians, he has to deal with Team Paul and Team Peter, and it's all about supposed differences in doctrine. There There wasn't any difference in their gospel. These false teachers were just making this up to cause division. I like what John Stott said. They weren't robbing Peter to pay Paul, but rather they were praising Peter 
to spite Paul. So Paul had established in chapter 1 that the gospel that he preached came directly from the lips of Jesus. And now in chapter 2, he's establishing that the message he preaches is the same as the message Peter preaches because they got it from the same source. Paul got the gospel from Jesus Christ just as Peter did. They are preaching the same gospel because it came from the same source. And so Paul says, listen, I have talked with Peter and we went to Jerusalem to talk about ministry to the Gentiles. And while I was there, there was a demonstration that the gospel is greater than our preferences. You see, Paul is telling us that there is nothing that's more important than the gospel. And the gospel is more important than our preferences is a part of that main idea. When Titus and Paul get to this meeting in Jerusalem to talk about ministry with the Gentiles, there were some either false brethren or weak new Christians, some imposters, portraying themselves to be strong and mature. And they said, listen, Titus, who was a Greek, he needs to become like a Jew to do ministry and to really be a solid Christian, a mature Christian. He needs to be circumcised like we are. But Paul says here, no, that's not going to happen. Now, they're wanting him to become a Jew, and obviously, getting circumcised would have been the ultimate gesture on becoming Jewish. But Paul says, we didn't submit to them, no, not for an hour. So in our vernacular, he's saying, not for a moment. But I want you to notice the reason that he says that. Verse 5 says, we didn't give him place, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Paul says, no, we're not going to tell Titus he has to be circumcised to be a Christian because we don't want to hinder the gospel from going further in places like Athens where Greek people live. Now, there's actually a completely different scenario where Paul is doing ministry with Timothy, who is also a Greek. And Paul encourages Timothy to get circumcised so it's not a problem for him to do ministry among Jews. Now, in both scenarios... The issue is not what makes Titus or Timothy most comfortable. The issue is what will help the gospel go forward. Now, I would love to get up to heaven and talk with Paul and Titus and Timothy about the conversations they had like, so Titus didn't have to do this, but I have to do this. But in both scenarios, what Paul was most concerned with was what is going to hinder the expansion of the gospel. Paul is showing us again and again that to him, nothing is more important to the gospel. And friends, that's how it should be with us. Nothing is more important to the gospel. Paul's saying we're not going to weaken the gospel by saying you need to be a Jew or you need to make some effort to become like others. We're not going to soften the gospel, the powerful message of the gospel, that anyone and everyone can be changed and be forgiven, we're not going to soften that because it makes you uncomfortable. He says this to the Jews there in Jerusalem. So Paul says, my gospel didn't come from them, but it's been considered and approved by them because he goes on to say that when the pillars of the faith, Peter and James, John, they didn't require this. They stood with us. They didn't add anything to the gospel. He says they were focused on a different calling than us, but they told us to go with God and to make sure that we did ministry to the poor. Then Paul tells us that later on, he and Peter did come into a confrontation. But it wasn't in Jerusalem. It was later on when Paul is back in Antioch and Peter comes there to Antioch where he's at. Now Peter is there doing ministry with them, and he is eating with the Greeks, having no issue, doing ministry, meeting people, sitting down to have meals with them. But then some people from Jerusalem come up, some Jews. And when Peter sees them, he doesn't want to offend them. He's afraid of what they'll say. So he stops eating with the Greeks and only eats with the Jews. 
Peter was afraid of these Jewish elites. He was afraid of what they'd think. He was afraid of what they'd say. And so Paul withstands him to the face, he says. And here, Paul shows us that the gospel is greater than our race. Peter feared the opinions of the Jews, and he capitulated to it. Now, this is crazy because Peter was the one who had received a vision from God telling him that it was okay for the Gentiles to be saved. Peter was the one who went to Cornelius' house and preached the gospel, and there, there were the first Gentiles that came to faith in Christ. And he knew that Greeks could be a part of the kingdom And he had eaten with the Greeks. He wasn't a racist, but Peter's problem was he was afraid of what the racists thought. You see, Peter wasn't a racist, but he capitulated to the racists. Peter had stood with Paul and Titus on the issue earlier, but he caves in Antioch out of fear of the circumcision party, is what Paul tells us. For some reason, they intimidated him. Judaizers were once again acting like snobby teenagers trying to split up into cliques and who's going to sit with who. And when Peter had chosen to sit with the Jews, he had snubbed the Greeks. Now there are times that we try to make sure that we don't offend someone, that we don't uh, go against their preferences, that we don't make life uh, uh, difficult for them or make them uneasy. And so we just cater to their preferences. But we never do that when doing so would hinder the gospel or hurt another person. And when Peter refuses the Greeks and eats with the Jews, he's hurting the Greeks. Paul himself would say that to the Jews I'm a Jew and to the Greeks I'm a Greek that I might win them all, but he would never side with one or the other to the detriment of the other. He never wanted to hinder the gospel. And what Peter had done here in this moment is he had capitulated to those that had rejected the Gentiles because of their race. And so Paul stands up to him and challenges him on this. I was born in Nashville the South. However, before my parents moved to Nashville, my father lived in Columbus. He was originally from North Carolina, but lived in Columbus, Ohio, in the city. And my mother lived in Norfolk, Virginia. My mother had a very close friend who was a woman of color and the maid of honor in her wedding. Someone that I saw regularly when I was a child was this close friend. And we spent time with her at church and outside of church regularly until she moved out of state, uh, out of the States to, to do mission work. When I was 12, my father was transferred with Delta, and so we moved from Nashville to Virginia Beach, Virginia, where we attended Gateway Church, and there, there was an incredible amount of diversity in the congregation, and there were African Americans that served on the deacon board. It was not unusual for a person of color to serve as a Sunday school teacher or some other ministry leader. So as a child, and then as a teenager growing up, I, I never really considered diversity in the church as an issue. It wasn't until I went to Bible college in North Carolina that it hit me that we are incredibly, incredibly homogenous when it comes to Baptist churches. We have an amazing lack of diversity. And when I went to Bible college in North Carolina, I didn't see much overt racism, but what I saw was a lot of capitulation to racism. I saw people shrugging racism off as that's just the way it is down here in the South or it's a generational thing or that's just the way that our grandparents were raised. Now, I wrote this message on Wednesday, and so when I watched the news from the campus of UVA in Charlottesville, I was horrified this past weekend. 
But I was planning to preach on Galatians chapter 2 long before any of that took place because this, this is the truth of the gospel. This is not just some reaction to what's taking place this weekend. This is the truth of the gospel that, that racism has no place in a church that's committed to the gospel. And the reason that Paul challenges Peter here is because he's capitulating to racists and it's hindering the message of the gospel. Racism isn't something to shrug off. Paul apparently didn't think so. He thought it was worth speaking up about. And Paul spoke up about any sin. And he spoke up about this sin. Now I want you to see that Peter wasn't a racist, but he capitulated to racists. And that was enough for Paul to speak up about. I want you to realize we, we cannot compromise on the gospel to avoid standing against the opinions of man. That's what Peter was doing. He was compromising on the truth of the gospel that it's available to everyone because he was afraid of what these people would think. We can't compromise on the gospel because of what this world thinks, because of what people in our church think. I've had to say goodbye to people because I would not make changes that they wanted to see made because I believe that they would hinder the message of the gospel. We do what we do here because we're committed to the gospel, not because we're catering to anyone's preferences. The gospel is more important than our race. It's more important than our preferences. We will not capitulate to anyone's sin or preference, prejudice or status in a way that it's going to hinder the gospel. We will not compromise on this. The gospel is far too important. Today, our world is full of people who think that our gospel is unhealthy. They think that our stand for truth is like frying potatoes and beef tallow, and they want us to compromise. But the gospel is our core truth. It is sacred to us. It is for all people of every race and background. We will not capitulate to appease this world. The gospel is far too important in that. Far too important. Far too important. The gospel is greater than our preferences. The gospel is greater than our race. And lastly, I want you to see that the gospel is greater than our status. When Paul stands up to Peter, this is a big deal because Peter is the guy. Peter is the guy who walked on water. Peter is the guy who, who said, Jesus, you're the, the son of God, the Messiah. And Jesus said, that is right, Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Peter was the one that stood up at Pentecost and preached a message when 3,000 people joined the church. Peter had been threatened to die. He'd been rescued from jail by an angel. Peter was a church father, and here is Paul, who's not yet written all of these books in the New Testament. He spent 12 years out in obscurity, and he stands up to Peter in front of everyone. Paul was the new guy, and he was in the minority. Barnabas, his ministry partner, and the other Jews had capitulated along with Peter. So when Paul stands up to him, this is a big deal. But Paul felt that it was his responsibility. And notice that I said responsibility, not his right. There's a difference between having a responsibility to hold one another accountable and having a right to do so. Paul didn't do this with joy. He did this with great sorrow. He felt that it was necessary. The disagreement here was not on their doctrine, but it was on Peter's conduct because he wasn't acting in accordance with the gospel. So Paul goes to Peter and speaks to him directly face to face. And this is a public head-on collision. It's in front of everyone. This was awkward. None of this was worthy of posting on Facebook or Instagram. This was something that the church would have felt really awkward about. It would have been embarrassing. 
By the way, accountability is awkward, but it's essential. And this is more about dealing with people. This is more than a confrontation or a disagreement. This is holding a brother accountable because he's not walking in accordance with the gospel. Paul had referred to the importance of the matter in Jerusalem as the truth of the gospel. That's what he says in verse 5. He does here again in verse 14 when he challenges Peter. He says he's not walking in accordance with the truth of the gospel. He's saying you're not conducting yourself in a way that is consistent with the gospel message. Then Paul wraps all this up with a concise but clear presentation of the gospel in verse 16. But before that, he says in verse 15, we who are Jews by nature, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. You know what he's saying? He's saying, me too. Paul is not pointing his finger at Peter and saying, listen, you're the mess. He's saying, Peter, you and I, we're Jews, but even we need Jesus. Even we need his forgiveness. Even you and I, as Jews, we're both broken. You see, Paul didn't believe that Jews were superior or that Gentiles were superior. Paul believed, and he's saying, Peter, you believe too, that all are lost and need the gospel, and all are able to be forgiven through the gospel. All are able to be found in the gospel. In Acts 15, which comes after all of this takes place in Antioch, they're back in Jerusalem to talk about the issue of the gospel and circumcision and Judaism And Peter stands up for Paul and Barnabas and the Gentiles. Peter failed to sit with the Gentiles in Antioch, but he stood up for them and the gospel in Jerusalem. Peter didn't sit with them when he should have. But when the moment came, he stood up for them. And most importantly, he stood up for the gospel. The gospel is more important than anything. It's more important than our race, It's more important than our preferences. It's more important than our status. It's the most important thing. And for that reason, our preferences, our prejudices, our racism, our sin has no place because we must make the gospel the most important thing. And what I would ask us this morning is, what have we made more important than the gospel? What have we valued over the gospel? The opinions of others? our status, the way that people look at us, our race, our preferences, our sins, our hobbies, our career, nothing should be more important than the gospel. If we say that the gospel is more important to us, but we hold greater allegiances to our preference, we're biased to our own comforts, we're more invested in our own status, the gospel is not the most important thing to us. Oh, that we would be just as passionate about the gospel as we are about politics or hobbies or sports or our career. May the gospel always be the most important thing. May the gospel be something that we never capitulate, we never compromise on. May the gospel always be the most important thing for us as a church. May our heart beat for our community, our desire for one another, our witness in this world reflect the fact that the gospel is the most important thing.